Episode 160, Rosie Kaczynski, founder of Shattered Pencil Studios. My favorite mistake was waiting too damn long to... I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For more information about Rosie, her work and her company, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 160. As always, thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven, and we are joined today by Rosie Kaczynski. She is uh, she refers to herself as the brand queen and the founder of Shattered Pencil Studios, which is a brand design and development boutique. Uh, she says she straddles the line between creative and strategic, between artistic and scientific. So we'll get to talk a little bit about Rosie's work. And uh, before I tell you a little bit more about her, Rosie, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you so much for having me, Mark. And uh, what a great podcast too. And by the way, in my defense, Brand Queen was given to me by a client and I just kept it. So Okay. Well, I, I was I was going to ask. I guess it's better <laughs> to be called the queen than to be self-appointed. Yeah. Although, you know, there is something about keeping the crown that may be a bit off-putting, but hey. <laughs> I'm wearing it. <laughs> I, I I don't think it's off-putting at all. It's a, a fun uh, a fun title and it stands out. But um, I think another thing that stands out about Rosie and her background to tell you a little bit more about her, she was raised by entrepreneurs and artists in what she describes as a nomadic environment that took her through Europe, the Middle East, and the United States. So Rosie's a global citizen through and through, and she she taps into that, those perspectives to help understand uh, deeply the people she serves and to help them connect with the people they serve. So I imagine that, that that combination of backgrounds back to your other description of creative and strategic, artistic and scientific, you're, you're connecting dots, it seems. Definitely. And just having a more human approach to certain um, problems rather than trend oriented or specific cultural um, niches. So being able to kind of tap into all those experiences has been hugely beneficial and fun. Well, well good. So I think we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that later and talk about your firm and, and your book. But, you know, first off, as we always do here, um, I'm curious to hear your story, Rosie, you know, the different things you've done in your career. What is your favorite mistake? My favorite mistake was waiting too damn long to get a coach, to get a mentor and to seek professional help, let's be honest, business therapy. Um, Because for, as someone, especially who was raised by entrepreneurs, where having had a nine to five was weird, I thought that, okay, if this is in my genes and I'm good at what I do, all will unfold as it should. Mm -hmm. And I spent way too many years spinning my wheels unnecessarily without getting the guidance from someone who could look at it from a professional and business strategy perspective. So what led to the recognition then of this 
what was lacking or what would be helpful and useful? You talk about spinning your wheels. How, how did you start to recognize that that was happening? Honestly, I didn't really recognize it. As with all good disasters, you're in there thinking, you know, this is all fine. Uh, until I, I was part of a networking group. I was doing a lot of the things that Google tells you you're supposed to do as um, as an entrepreneur running mm-hmm. a business. And one day I was collaborating with a photographer who, you know, as we were talking about um, trying to reach new clients and also higher quality clients, he just, and, and maybe it, it dropped in the, in the right moment psychologically, but he, he just suggested that I connected with his coach. And I hadn't thought about it at all, but, and I was really nervous about talking to him because I, I was nervous about being sold. And this guy is the one who t- taught me to stop selling, to, to be an advisor rather than um, a salesperson. So, you know, the irony of it. But I, I did end up reaching out to him skeptically. And the greatest part of that conversation was I thought I was answering his questions the way I was supposed to, you know, giving him numbers, what kind of growth trajectory I was looking for, blah, 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 blah. And then by the end of it, I kind of broke and I said, you know what? I have no idea what I'm talking about. All I know is I want a balanced life. I want a business, but I want evenings. I want weekends. I want to travel and see my family who are everywhere. My father is unwell. I want to go visit him. And I want to be able you know, to have a business that thrives. So um, that's when we really connected, when, it, when I had personal goals attached to that. And because he honored those and he had a holistic approach that was super helpful. And and just, again, it goes back to that human connection, just someone totally understanding and hearing my problems and being able to be that mirror. Okay. These are the goals. How do we get there? So uh, it was, you know, from love at first consultation, really. (laughs) So the skepticism melted away fairly quickly. (laughs) Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. so when you describe it, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more when you when you say you were spinning your wheels, you were looking for a balanced life. Were were you having to work and hustle too much or too long to 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 uh, get enough sales to to grow the business, or was it was it something different? Yeah, there was a lot of networking. I'm gonna you know, there's a lot of meeting new people and thinking that was what I was supposed to do, and thinking that in going into a room and joining these groups and that, you know, I was going to get myself out there. Um, And being able to have that guidance, I was being, I could be more critical with my message. I could listen more effectively and I could build existing relationships. So instead of going for the shiny object and this idea of that perfect client is right there, rather than, rather than here in my circle are people who could connect me and, and I could foster the, you know, great relationships, meaning relationships, but also get that feedback. Strangers don't give you feedback. So it really helped me use the resources I already had rather than get in my head that like that one person who's going to discover my talents is, is on the pinnacle on that hill over there. <laughs> um, yeah. And so how, how long did you work with that coach? I still do. Still do. Okay. Yeah. How long is how long has that been now? It's been about four years now. 
Uh, and I, I really credit him, even though he always credits me for this, but I credit him for COVID time being the a time of growth. You know, we the moment the pandemic hit, it was it was obviously panic mode for everyone. And I I say this with sensitivity because you know many of my loved ones and many people in the world were very um, heavily hit by that. But he really helped me. I mean, week one, okay, what needs to happen? And we just shifted plans, and we we it was an immediate conversation. And having someone to guide me through those emotions, the mindset of it, the the tactics, rather than going on the contagious panic train, which was very, very tempting. Um, you know, the world is ending. Who needs branding and marketing? <laughs> so, hmm. yeah. I mean, did did I mean? So, how did that hit you? Had you been in an office setting, and now suddenly it was work from home for you and other people at the company? No, I, um, I work with people remotely and, and my team does as well. It's, um, it's always been that way. So that wasn't a transition, but what was, was all our account. Most of our accounts were like, you know what? Never mind. We don't know what the world looks like. Let's just yeah. halt. Okay. Right. And, and being able to, express and provide that value even through those times um, was really instrumental and also just evaluating, okay, what is it that I want to focus on? And pandemic and mentor together was the crux of me focusing on brand development because there was, there was a shift there from taking the kinds of jobs that maybe weren't as exciting or just weren't really filling my cup. And ironically, I became much more selective during COVID. Mm. I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to be putting in a new system, it's going to be one that if it grows, I'm excited for it to grow. But it took someone else guiding me through that mindset to have the courage to do that. It's really scary to be selective, especially when things are up and down. Yeah. That was really, really helpful. Yeah. And and I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about the process your coach uses. You you made reference earlier to your coach asking questions mm. and guiding you through a process. Like sometimes people might think a coach is going to tell you what to do. Rosie, I'm an expert in your type of business and you should do this. And exactly. This and that. But that yeah. What, what was this yeah. process of guiding you? It sounds like they were guiding you to help figure it out. Exactly. Well, it's a really good question, Mark, and well observed in the fact that there are some coaches that tell you what to do. And sometimes I I want to shake his shoulders and just say, tell me what to do. Tell me what to write. And, and I'll bully him into <laughs> drafting an email for me. But uh, for the most part, um, you know, his talents are really in mirroring what I've said so that I can hear it in a in you know through someone else and i can hear how ridiculous any of the self doubt or imposter syndrome sounds like and i can also hear the wins when i'm being assertive and when i'm valuing my work um and and I, actually one 
female coach once told me that I shouldn't have a male coach because he's not going to foster the goddess within. And I actually love having a male coach because it counter, it, it, it's having like the yin and yang. Um, and so I actually really enjoy that different perspective rather, sure. rather than, you know, shirking from it. So, um, but going back specifically to his methodology, so you may be uh, familiar with, and I'm sure many of your listeners, listeners would be uh, with the Sandler training, sales training. So I've barely heard of it. If so you haven't, yeah. basically the idea it's, it's putting the whole sales process on its head and it's no longer the, uh, let me prove my worth to you. It's, it's an equal qualification system. When I meet with a prospect, I'm just as skeptical as you are. Let's see if this conversation even makes sense. And so it's all about before even answering their questions or telling them about you or giving them a pitch. It's what's going on with you? What are your pain points? What are your goals? Who are you? What's going on? What is your commitment level? And running through this interrogation system that they can also repeat to you, you know, who are you? What do you know about branding and marketing? And, and being able to be very um, transparent with those and, and having an agenda that that allows them to also say no. You know, I really do believe in going for no. And before, I didn't even know that was a concept. But, you know, what happens if you try and get someone to reject you? It gives them that safe space. And often they're like, you know what? I, I do want to <laughs> work with you because you haven't forced my arm into it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not what I hear you saying is looking looking for fit. Um, and, and And yeah, sometimes people... And maybe this is where people complain about something being salesy, where someone sort of has the attitude of like, well, clearly I'm the best fit and you'd be an idiot to not hire me. Like, even yeah. if that's not being said, sometimes that comes through, doesn't it? Exactly. Yes. And uh, the other methodology that has been instrumental for me as, as someone, and I'm going to be vulnerable here, is someone who to this day struggles with valuing my own work. Even though I see the value there and I have to assert it every day, but sometimes I, you know, and that's where negotiation becomes a problem. So I'll give you an example. Before my mentor, a negotiation looked like this. This logo is going to be $3,500. Oh, but because your vision seemed really clear and your budget is limited and I'm intimidated by you, then I'm happy to discuss options. <laughs> and, and now it's, we go through the questions. We kind of determine what the scope is. Um, I ask for their budget, their timeline, this, that. And once I gather the information and I can um, better judge what, what they need and what their expectations are, the logo's X amount. Silence. And the That's silence true. part has been probably one of my greatest golden nuggets, just shutting the hell up after I've said something. <laughs> so um, it's, it, so don't negotiate against yourself. Exactly. With, I mean, with apologies or qualifiers or giving yeah. people an out. And really yeah. don't assume what they think. Uh, I have been shocked. I'm going to tell you a success story actually from a couple of weeks ago, someone who uh, went to Fiverr, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's a way you can get, um, you know, really 
uh, low cost deliverables, such as gra- graphic design, copy, video, stuff like that. And, and for some people, it's really helpful, especially if they're just trying to get off the ground. So this guy gets a $5 logo, hates it. Yeah. And so he asked someone, hey, do you know someone who can uh, help me with my brand? And he's trying to do this whole um, e-commerce launch. And it's it's really difficult when you don't have a, a beautiful site and you don't have you know, the richness uh, in the customer experience. And branding is part of that. So after speaking to him and hearing that he had bought a $5 logo, my expectations were pretty low on closing the sale. And I, I wasn't holding my breath and I never really do anyway. Uh, I told him my price, which <laughs> let's just say it's not $5. Add a few zeros after that. And again, silence. And he's like, let me talk to my wife. Which again, to me, is like, it, it's not happening. <laughs> if, if the wife's involved, it's not happening. Next day, pays a deposit. He's like, I'm all in. Let's do it. And I was genuinely shocked because there was no, there was not even a negotiation. And it, I think it was because someone was actually listening to his vision. And I repeated it back to him. So this, it sounds like this is what you want. Yes. And, you know, the $5 Fiverr graphic designer is doing their job, which is to receive an idea and try and translate it to their best of their abilities. But unfortunately, most people don't have a clear enough vision to say, this is exactly what I want. And, you know, um, but but being able to shut up after the quote, (laughs) that that really did it. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of settings we don't like silence. Um, and, and, and I've worked with some people as uh, consultants, either, you know, internally within that group where they try, they try to coach us with clients. When you ask a question, like give a good 10 seconds, which seems painfully long mm-hmm. because not everyone is so quick to jump in with an answer. You have to sort of honor and respect, like, okay, give people time to think. Or like even as something as simple as like, you know, uh, do you have any questions? Yeah leave some space. Yeah. Then like, Oh, okay. Nope. Clearly not. And then you got two or three people sitting there who are like, but I was gonna, Mm. I wanted that, you know? Yeah. It's true. And, and there's some things that I've also been able to embrace that aren't again, the, the template of how you should run a business sense of humor for me is really, really important. And uh, along with never split the difference by Chris Voss, which is an amazing book for negotiations. Uh, I also really like um, humor seriously. Don't ask me who the authors are. It's it's like a panel of them. Um, but the there it's psychologists who show how humor really helps in business, and it's something that's that's helped especially in team meetings. I'll I'll work with uh, corporate teams on their marketing and branding. And it's always a reminder of why I left corporate because honestly, these people are on Zoom. They clearly want to get right off. And I think, let's make this a party. You know, we've got an hour. There's going to be a lot of stuff we're going to go through. Let's make it fun. And, and I, you know, I really make my best effort doing that Um, because time is precious. Time is our life. And if someone's going to give me literally a section of their life, I'm going to try and make the most of that now. Well, and yeah, there's, there's being task oriented and then 
there, you know, sometimes just enjoying yourself then leads to, uh, you know, if we're going to frame it as productivity, you yeah. know, a little bit of relationship building or goofing off or, you know, there's probably research. Well, I've heard, um, you know, uh, secondhand, it's not my own reading of the research of connections between humor and creativity. Oh, huge. In a lot of different settings. And, you know, yeah. I think of a couple of different organizations I'm involved with. Sometimes groups are very serious. Uh, Kinexus, mm-hmm. I'm wearing their shirt today, a software company. There's a weekly team meeting where like maybe the first, some days, the first five or 10 minutes is people just kind of joking with each other, yeah. goofing around. And then the Zoom chat, it's almost like if you remember the show Mystery Science Theater mm-hmm. 3000 or like. In some cultures, they would say, no, this is forbidden. Do not poke fun at things or people in the chat. But I, I don't think it's you know, like to the detriment of the meeting. It's, it's this sort of like side stream um, that, that at least in that culture, people enjoy and, and, and it works. It does. And even on a neurological level, being able to um, be humorous, but also be comfortable allows us to spew all sorts of ideas out, some of which become treasures. And there has been, there've been multiple studies about creativity and feedback. So feedback obviously is very important, but if it's, if an idea is shut down, like eh, dismissed, they've shown a really clear line of, even if they're an amazing creative mind, the next time they come into that room, they're unlikely to have, um, ideas that stick. And so, and, and so not only with my clients, but also with my team members, it's really important for me. Uh, my last note note on every project is go crazy. You know, <laughs> even if there are parameters, even if a client has been very, very clear with their vision, let's have a side bubble of just go crazy because who knows what's going to stick. And it's, it would be unfortunate to squash a, a great idea before it even comes to life. Um, so Rosie, I'd like to, I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of your work and your business that you do um, through Shattered Pencil Studios. Um, you know, one, one thing that comes to mind is a mistake people might make con- confusing a logo with branding. Mm. How, how would you talk about the, the, the interconnection or the difference between those things? That's a great question. So Branding, it's, it's actually a very recent word in, in human um, terms, even, even when it comes to searing animals. Uh, but what it, branding is really, really um, integral to just business in general. So they're even down to operations and culture and behavior. Branding lives there. And so when I talk about brand design, for example, we're talking about the part that people see. And it's a little bit like what the clothes you wear, the hairstyle you have, the way you walk and the way you talk. All of those are visually symptomatic of who you are as a person, how you like to express yourselves, your values, your background, your beliefs, um, things like that. So uh, the visuals of it, um, or the brand design and the logo is a small, but really important part. It's kind of like the stamp. And when usually when people come to me wanting a logo, 
it's just an anchor. It's like a way of saying I need a brand without really knowing it. Sometimes they've already got everything sorted out and they really just do need a logo. But more often than not, they haven't really defined their brand. So the fun part of it is I get to help them understand that and become collaborators in that. Uh, So I'm going to share with you the seven, I call it the seven magic questions to ask. And these are fundamental for any design and marketing going forward, but they're really fundamental for your brand culture, your operations, your systems, for everything business related. Um, And these are special to me because they go, they're encompassing of all the fancy brand jargon questions like positioning statement and mission and values and this and that and the other um, without any of the jargon. So the first question one has to answer, and again, answering these are not not always easy, but um, why are we here? The next is what do we do and how do we do it? You know, kind of the, the nuts and bolts. What makes us different? And I'm going to pause there because a lot of people think what makes us different compared to our competitors. But it's not always our competitors that we're competing against. Sometimes we're competing against a notion or it's a lack of understanding of what it is that you're even offering. You know, there was a time no one knew what a podcast was. So the first podcasters had to define that. They were competing against lack of knowledge. Um, You're competing for time, Exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, The next question is, who are we here for? I mean, that's really one of the most important ones, let's be honest. Then what do we value most? And I always like to encourage people to stick to three. What is our personality? And then at the end is, what is our ambition? And that ties it all in. It's kind of like the... The, the big flag at the top of the mountain. <laughs> um, and if, if even those can help spark some ideas, it can be really helpful to reignite some inspiration or just think about, um, have you lost sight of who you're helping, you know, in the hustle of trying to find clients? Have you even figured out who those are, who's looking for you? Um, and a lot of people think of marketing as a way, marketing and branding, as a way to find people, but I like to think of it as being findable. People are already looking for you. So be seen, be visible. You're not a hunter. You're, you're there. Okay. This may sound a bit dramatic, but you're their savior. You know, if they have a problem, they're, they're trying to find you and they can't. So you're doing them a favor by being able to be recognized with a logo, being recognized with, um, everything you do. Listen, I may not like them, but I know what I'm going to expect when I go into Starbucks and that is branding. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not just the logo. It's, it's the look and the look and the feel. It's not just the look of the store, but if you will, the vibe comparing the Starbucks vibe to your local funky bohemian coffee shop. Exactly. There's a different experience, not just the look of it. Right. It is. And it, it, it permeates. I don't know if you know this. My husband, way back when we were trying to survive, he was a Starbucks barista. And in the on the inside of their 
uh, aprons is a little message that you can see to remind you, you know, we're here for the people. And, and even those little things, that's branding. It's internal. None of the customers get to see it, but it's infusing. Um, yeah. But it's back to those questions of why are we here? You know, how do we do it? Who are we here for? That's, that's really important because I, I think a lot of organizations get off the rails when they get too inwardly focused. Mm, that, yeah, so, okay, yeah, we, we, uh, you know, of course, we have customers. That's where the money comes from. But mm-hmm. it is easy to lose track of yeah. those questions and the implications of what you're doing and how you're expressing yourself as a company. Exactly. And the other thing I want to stress when it comes to branding is that ultimately it's storytelling. And I know this is also one of those words that has gone awry. <laughs> what is storytelling, you know, anymore? So one of the metaphors I always like to use is if you think about the information we receive about, you know, that we have about ourselves, uh, you know, all the answers we have to those questions, all the data we receive from people who are looking for us, all of that is like so many pearls scattered about. And they're all valuable, but how do you make sense of it? So visual and written, um, you know, content, that kind of, and that storytelling, it's like the thread that puts it all together. It makes it beautiful. It makes it shareable. It makes it um, so that you can handle it all at once. So a really good logo is, is like that string of pearls. It's, you can pass it on. Um, and I, I have to share that um, this is something I'm going to share on my social uh, in a couple of days. I read the other day that the um, founder of Nike, when presented with the check mark, the swoosh, I the think swoosh. They call it. Yes. He, uh, he's like, I'm not really sure I like it, but maybe it'll grow on me. <laughs> and now it's so iconic and remembering also that while we see brands, especially big brands, as these buttoned up, beautiful packages, it's a hot mess back there. (laughs) (laughs) If you've ever seen a play and you're familiar with what it looks like backstage, that's the creative process. And I think sometimes people think, you know, once they look in there, they're thinking, wow, this is really madness. And and I like to help demystify it. I like to open up the curtain, be like, this is what it is. This is what it's like. Come join me and you know, <laughs> make it a make it a party, make it collaborative. Well, um, and what, what Rosie shared there in uh, the Seven Magic Questions, there's a blog post that I'll link to in the show notes um, going, as, as, as you put it, uh, from brand jargon to brand clarity. Um, so I encourage people to check that out. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, Rosie, in, in terms of mistakes that people or, or companies make when it comes to branding. So maybe one mistake is trying to just trying to be cheap or not investing mm-hmm. enough in the right kind of collaboration. Um, like, do you, how often do clients, you know, try to micromanage the process of like being too particular and telling mm. you or someone on your team mm. how to design or how, like to the point where almost, you, you might, might almost say, Hey, well then you, you could do it yourself then if you know so much about this. And I can't imagine you, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to make you sound combative, but I'm just painting this hypothetical. What happens yeah. if someone tries to micromanage the work? It's a, that's a really, really good question. Um, because I've had clients like that. And the 
irony of it is it's always the people who haggle. So the less they pay, the more likely they are to be the nitpickers. The more they pay, the more they're like, get this off my plate and leave me alone. <laughs> so what I've, what I've found most useful with a micromanager, firstly, is acknowledging the validity of their perspective. You know, if got, they've got a vision and it, it doesn't feel like it's coming across, I can also see how that's frustrating. So what I tend to do when we're, we're feeling a bit stuck on a project, get them on Zoom. And we do a screen share of the raw files that we're working on. So let's say it's a logo or some sort of design. We go right into my creative suite, whether it's Illustrator, InDesign, whatever it is we're using in the moment. And we design it together. And they start seeing how time-consuming and complicated the creative process is. And this happens a lot during the color ideation because color is so so tricky. I mean, I had one guy being like, I need, I need the background to be lime green. There are probably about an infinite number of lime greens. (laughs) So we, again, going and being able to do this visually and, and seeing how things get placed, demystifying it, because I think sometimes they think it's just a push of a button and things happen, but you can spend like an hour on just the placement of a single letter it's madness, but being able to unveil that uh, has has shown. I've always gotten a lot of really great feedback on like, that was really helpful, and I saw why my idea sucked, or maybe their idea was great and we were able to incorporate it. Um, so, <laughs> I think really just leaning into those people yeah. has been the yeah. best for me. Because I mean, there's 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 some science to the idea. I know enough to be dangerous. Um, Complementary colors. Yeah. Where somebody might insist on a couple of colors and 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 they just clash and they're yeah. kind of proven that it's going to be not appealing to the eye. Mm. It's you know colors. There's really <laughs> there's so much nuance to them. I don't know if you're familiar with, but I I really suggest uh, looking at Joseph Albers' books on colors. He was revolutionary at the turn of the century in showing how he he took all the purest pigments. He never mixed his pigments and he would place the exact same yellow on two different shades of blue. And those yellows looked completely different. And it showed that our perspective, it's so malleable. A color is never really a color. It's, it's a color in context of another color. So we wouldn't see, we don't see the stars right in the daytime because it's too, it's blocked out by the, all the light. And then we see them in, you know, in the dark and being able to show people these colors in context. So a color palette where they're just circles is going to look completely different when you integrate those colors into a logo, say if it's really thin or really textured, or they blend together in a watercolory way. And I know someone said, like, I really don't like gold. And then she loved the idea of having a bit of gold in this design because it looked like um, gold, uh, like uh, paper sprinkles. And, and so there was just being able to bring texture into it and transparency. So there's so many layers to it that um, it's, it's never really worth a discussion on the colors. It's more on what look are we going for? 
and then being able to give them visual cues for feedback. Um, and, and only three, like, I, I think three is the most magical color because, <laughs> or not color, uh, the no, most number. magical number. Yeah. Cause people, yeah. it's, it's the one that locks into our memory the best, but it, it also doesn't overwhelm people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, I could talk forever about color. You really don't want to get me started. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there's probably a podcast out there about color that would love to have sure. you. As a, yeah. And but. there's, there's also physiological changes. Uh, you know, there's reasons why so many fast food chains have red and uh, yellow. It, it actually makes you hungry because your heart rate increases. It's the very red is the first color we see as humans. It's one of the most impactful because it's uh, the uh, it's got the longest wavelengths, which is why we see kind of a tinge of red on Mars. And one of the reasons blue is so calming is because it's it's kind of got the lowest frequency. It's very it actually changes the wavelength in our brain. <laughs> so yeah. mind blowing. Yeah, that, that, I walked past an In and Out Burger in California the other day, and I yeah I, I saw the red and the yellow. It did occur to me that yeah those those are McDonald's colors. And now mm-hmm. that you've made that point, it's not hard to think of other fast food companies yeah. that, that have red and yellow and yeah, Hardee's um, and Burger King and Wendy's, Wendy's I think has a lot yeah. of red. Mm-hmm. KFC has red. Yeah. I walked past that in I and out it. without buying anything, but next time, I don't know, I might have to go. So if you think you're getting heart palpitations, maybe you've got a fast food restaurant nearby. <laughs> Hopefully not heart palpitations after eating which is, which, is why I, which is why I try to, to walk by more than yeah. I, I stop in. But um, Rosie, there's one other article um, that, that you wrote I wanted to ask you a little bit about, and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, five things I wish someone had told me before I became a founder. Like, is there, mm-hmm. from that, is there one that comes to mind? Like, if, if there was only one thing you wish someone had told you, what what is that? I think it was really, uh, I can't remember how I'd phrased it, but doobie doobie do, uh, being able to balance when, when I first founded my company, I had put so much blood, sweat, tears, and love into this and into making sure I wasn't failing my clients. And I, I, I kind of let go of health and relationship. I just, everything else was lackluster. And I burned out so many times and being able to assert the value of just being and, and as a creative, it's super important. I I mean, I think for everybody creative or, you know, I don't think there's anyone that's actually not creative. That's a whole other discussion, (laughs) but being able to have time to think. So, um, one of the things I mentioned in the article is in the Western culture of progress and growth, we talk about doing, you know, productivity, efficiency, do, 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 do. And in the stereotypical more Eastern practices with, and I do a lot of yoga and mindfulness and meditation. So in that realm, it's about being, be grounded, be present, be in the moment, um, be aware. And I think that for me, if someone had taught me to integrate both of those things effectively into business, do and be and mm-hmm. do be do be do <laughs> to create 
a balance throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout, you know, um, in any goal setting. And, and some of it has come up in just small, but really effective things. Like at the beginning of the year, planning, blocking out all the vacations for that year, even if they change, just having those weeks set out and in the week, literally scheduling my walks, scheduling my workouts and knowing that those are as important as a client call. Um, and that's really helped with just obviously physical and mental health, but also the health of my work. The I get so much inspiration from my um, from my walks, and I never. I, it always comes just so spontaneously. I'll have some sort of idea or solution or the perfect response to an email on my walks, and so why do I rob myself of that when I'm super stressed and I probably need it the most? still something I'm working on, let's be honest, but yeah. well, it's all right. We're all working on it. This podcast isn't about perfection. I appreciate you. Oh, admitting. Work of progress got a, here. Got, a, got a, a bonus mistake um, out of you. And I hope people would go read the article of the other things um, that, that you wish people had told you. Um, our guest again today has been Rosie Kaczynski. She is, uh, her company is Shattered Penciled Studios. Um, the website is shatteredpencil.com. And again, there'll be links to that in show notes. Brand queen, it sounds like you don't plan on abdicating the throne anytime soon. <laughs> not. And thank you so much for your time, Mark, and for everybody listening. Thanks again to Rosie for being our guest. Again, to learn more about her, to learn about Shattered Pencil Studios, for links to the blog posts she mentioned and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 160. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.